Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Zatarans, maker of New Orleans pantry staples like Creole mustard, fish fry, and jambalaya mix since 1889. Recipes and more at Zatarans.com. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. As we move through the world, our lives are filled with chance acquaintances. Strangers bumping into strangers sometimes magically opens doors and changes lives forever. That's certainly the case with New Orleanian Cliff Hall and Senegalese cook Serene Mabey. On this week's show, we'll hear the story of what began as a chance conversation in Africa and ended in the kitchen at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Then, over the last 50 years, you may have encountered Sterling Constant at Antoine's restaurant, whether by chance or by reservation, it's a sure bet that your meal, as orchestrated by this amazing career waiter, provided a respite from the day and quite possibly an element of magic as well. We'll visit Sterling at Antoine's and hear about a life of service well led. We're turning the tables on this week's Louisiana Eats. My name is Serene Mabey. My name stands for love and peace and kind. And I try to live by that. I try to lead by example by my name. Chef Serene Mabey is the senior line cook at Commander's Palace, whose personal journey took him from his birthplace in New York to a hard knocks boarding school in Senegal to New Orleans, with many stops in between. I was born in New York City, Harlem. I grew up in a big family. And at the age of five, my parents uh, took me back to Senegal because at the time I was the youngest. And it was much easier to send the young kids and leave the old ones because all my other brothers were around 10, 11 at the time. So they could basically sort of kind of take care of themselves. They don't need much uh, babysit. So they took me to Africa by the age of five, and I was in a boarding school for about nine years, going on 10. And throughout that 10 years of time, I barely saw both my parents within 10 years. Oh, my goodness. So my dad probably twice before I finished boarding school. Saw my mother about five to six times. Serene, this must have been a huge culture shock coming from your family in New York and then you end up in Senegal and the family's gone and you're all alone. It, it, it must have been really a scary experience. For sure. I mean, I, but I definitely don't regret nothing that happened because it definitely made me the man I am today. But living it was something that I don't want to see no other kid live it. You know, the torture was beyond, um, how can I say it? It was be, it was it was beyond ridiculous. It was just 
you basically wake up at 5 a.m. every day. And breakfast and lunch was never guaranteed based on your uh, based on your lesson. So if you didn't complete your lesson at a certain time and breakfast come come around, you will pass breakfast for that day. And lunch come around and you haven't um, memorized your lesson, forget about lunch. So dinner was something that was always there. Oh. It was very brutal. It was hard. Um, we used to get hit a lot. You know, it was similar to, um, I mean, one time me and a friend of mine went to a movie theater. We saw this movie, 12 Years a Slave, and remind me so much of that. It was not far from it, you know. When I was nine years old, back in Senegal, in the boarding school, a great way to get away from the torture and the abuse and everything else is to develop a cooking skills because if you knew how to cook, it was a way to get away. And at the age of nine, I cooked for 600 people, made dinner. So whether it's good or not, people ate it because that's the only thing they got. Now, how did you happen to cook for 600 people when you were nine years old? So it was not... I was not preparing an entree. It was mostly dinner. So it was this thing called alach, which is pretty much kind of like oatmeal, which is pretty much easy to make. But I always had the amazing touch to it that people always love when I prepare it. So it was great. So uh, at the age of 14, 15, that's when I kind of returned back to America. And... That's when I began. I mean, that's when I started living with my parents again. But when I came back to America, things were not easy. It was much more difficult because now they put me in high school with these kids that been going to school since kindergarten to freshman to sophomore, and I missed out close to ten years of education. You expect me to be in the same classroom with them and perform the same academic level as me, which was impossible. Freshman year was difficult because. I can't even understand what the teacher is saying. At the age of 14, I did not know how to write my name in English. My parents, my mother, moved out of New York, went to Connecticut, and at the time it, didn't, it did not benefit me. So I told her that um, I have to finish high school in New York. So I was living on my own and working full-time and still have to support myself. And I was a dishwasher at the time, and I was getting paid seven twenty-five an hour. Oh my goodness! And in New York City, I had to pay, I think, seven fifty a month. So I was studying and almost almost time. I don't want to share certain things in the radio because no, I understand. Idea. Yeah, no, but you, understand. you don't have to put this. But I, I almost wanted to give up life. Yeah, I understand. It was hard, it, but I mean, but it must have been so because you must have felt so alone. You know, that's. I mean, yeah, it it was. It was definitely detrimental, you know, it was hard, it was, I was upset, but um, by my senior year of high school, I was definitely on a student. Over years, I definitely just been researching and just believed in what I believed in. So I was living on my own and working as a dishwasher in New York City, you know how rough that could be. But every time when I see the chef plate, it just it just it just remind me of when I was young, how people had so much frustration and until they eat a meal, you know, they just change their whole perspective. That's how I feel every time. 
until um, I was given opportunity to work in the garbage. And um, my first day, I cut myself nine times. Oh, nine times. <laughs> and they kept you on in that position? <laughs> of course not. Uh, I got more back to this washer. I mean, <laughs> but not for long because um, I began to researching and studying about um, about culinary in general. And until I was given another opportunity to start on pastry, which is much simpler than uh, garbage. And less knife work. Yeah, less knife work, for <laughs> sure. That's for sure. Until um, one time... Uh, until we had a chance to do an event at James Beer House in New York City. And that just changed my whole view. How old were you then? I was about 19. And what happened that night that changed your view? Um, first, when I stepped into James Beer House, the book, the inspiration, the lights, the ambiance, it was just, I just looked at food from a different perspective that I never imagined that food could be looked in, in that sort of way. So it just it was just, it literally took me to a different world, a different place. I knew then that cooking is something that I wanted to do. I was always close to my mom when I was young, so I always helped her when she had a guest or when time she cook around the kitchen. And one Thanksgiving, within that same year, my mother didn't make a Thanksgiving, and the turkey was at the house. Nobody cooked it. I didn't have much experience, but I knew how to cook a chicken. So I cooked the turkey, not knew what I was doing, just following my heart. Uh-huh. And when it came out, everybody loved it. And the excitement I got from all my siblings, it made me realize that I want to do this for the rest of my career. At that moment, within that same year, I knew that cooking is something that I really wanted to do. So you graduate from high school and right. you're working in restaurants. Right. Where does your journey take you? Well, um, after I graduated high school, I worked at a Mediterranean and Japanese restaurant in New York City. From Japanese, I worked at a Cuban restaurant where I add Spanish to my repertoire. I worked there for about six, seven months. And from there, I um, had a chance to work for an Italian restaurant in New York City. And this Italian restaurant had about 10, 11 pasta, all homemade. Mm. I just fell in love. And I was in a pasta station. It was it was difficult. It was hard. Each single pasta had their own ingredients, but I loved it. It was just—it was very intense. After I completed culinary school, I um, was supposed to go to Paris for an internship, and it didn't work out as planned. It, and um, I was so frustrated. I um, didn't want to stay in New York, so I left New York, went to Cleveland, Ohio and worked for top one best restaurant and top two at the same time. In six months working in Cleveland, I was frustrated because now I graduated culinary school, working in these restaurants, and I feel like I wasn't learning as much. Mm-hmm. And I was researching about West African chef. Miraculously, I find this chef named Chef Pierre Chum, and I find out he had two books. His first book, one the Julia Child cover page and second book got nominated for James Beard War. And I followed him through social media, reached out to him, not expecting him to respond back to me, but miraculously he did. And we talked. It was a very short conversation. But um, he told me that uh, it would be a great idea to go back to your roots. And it took me a while to really understand what he was trying to say. And 
one time I just called my dad and he told me that he's going to Senegal that same week. I was like, well, I want to go to Senegal too. Because I have not gone back since I've been back to America for about eight years going or nine. And I purchased my ticket right there and then just I was finally going back to Senegal. Some people live for the fortune. Some people live just for the fame. When we come back from a short break, our conversation with Chef Serene Mabe continues. Stay tuned. Some people live just to play the game. Some people think that the physical things define what's within. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats. Edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Rouse's Markets, from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923, and from the Napoleon House, located in the historic New Orleans French Quarter, home of the Pim's Cup Cocktail and the Toasted Mufalada. Lunch, dinner, and private events at 500 Charter Street. Do you have some Louisiana Eats on your mind? We'd like to hear about it, so we opened a phone line to take your calls. Leave us a message at 504-867-9128 or send us an email to louisianaeats at poppytooker.com. And now, back to Louisiana Eats. If you're just joining us, we've been speaking with Senegalese chef Serene Mabe, a senior line cook at Commander's Palace. Serene, how did you end up in New Orleans? Well, I went to Senegal last summer and... I was there for about a month and a half, and I went to all of the places I known for food, learn, teach. Went to culinary school out there, show a little demo about Italian and French cuisine, what I learned over the past in culinary school. And I also went to a lot of my grandmas and a lot of different villages to learn about really West African cuisine. As I thought about it, I was like, wow, we have all these ingredients that we have in Senegal, but never been discovered as fine dine, you know, it's just, it's absent. At that moment, I knew that when I came back to America, things were going to be different. So uh, how I ended up in New Orleans was my flight from Senegal back to New York City. I met this nonprofit organization called Giving Hope, and I was introduced to Cliff. Cliff Hall. Cliff Hall, correct. He was one of the part owners of a New Orleans fish house. I met him in Senegal. and How, how did that happen to come about? It's pretty funny because so when I got to the airport, I saw this group of people. And so I started thinking to myself, I thought they were French. And I started hearing them speaking English. And I was, well, you guys speak English? And they were surprised that I spoke English because I'm in Senegal. You know, it's a, it was colonized by French. So you would have thought that French was the language they spoke. And they were surprised that I spoke English. So I was like, well, you speak English? I was like, yeah. And then they started asking me stories. And 
how did I grow up, stuff like that, where I'm from, and when why I was in Senegal. And I, when I mentioned that I was in culinary, immediately I was introduced to Cliff. And he asked me about my story. At the airport, Cliff just started tearing. And he was just so thrown with my story. And he wanted me to come to New Orleans to uh, work for Commander's Palace. At the at that moment, at that time, I didn't know who, who I mean, who is Commander's Palace? What is that? Yeah, what is <laughs> I mean, what is Commander's Palace? Until um, I went home, researched about Commanders, looked up the chef, which is Chef Tari, and I said to myself, this would be something different. And also, when the slave left from West Africa, New Orleans was the first place they arrived in, so I had to understand that connection. It was another part of your roots, in essence. For sure. And when I came here, I was, the original plan was to be here three months, but that definitely did not happen. <laughs> for sure. So you you come here, and you you already knew that you had you had a position at Commanders. Did they um, agree to give you a job? Commanders had hired me from New York so I got called from one of the sous chefs and I was working I was working at New York at the time and my executive asked me you can't be on the phone but I, th- I definitely knew that but I knew that I saw 504 and then I knew that as New, uh, New Orleans area code so I picked up the phone I said hey chef it's very important it's gonna be a second he's like alright go ahead take your time and then he was like hey my name is such and such and um, I'm a chef at Commander's Palace and I want you to um, come down here and then See how you like it. Within that same week, I bought my ticket. Flew down to Tuesday. On a Wednesday, I was on the schedule. When I first, when I came into the kitchen, I was so blown by it. I was like, I never saw a kitchen that big. You know, and the fact that they let a guest walk in the kitchen. I'm like, what are, I'm like, what are they doing at first? But um, I realized that this was something different. And when I came from New York to Commanders, I wanted to. I wanted to cook. I, I didn't, you know. I had experience of a cook, at least as a cook. But they started me at desserts, which is, which is basically a comi from like the bottom part. But uh, I was able to work my uh, way up as a cook pretty quickly. Kept my head down, listened to people that had been there longer, my seniority cooks and seniority um, sous chefs, and opportunity just just occurred, and I just been taking it step by step, even though I'm young, but I experienced so much that a person that's probably 30 have not ex- haven't experienced, you know? Because a lot of people say that um, for you to be successful, you have to put in the time, you know? If you think about Michael Jackson, for example, at the age of 20, he, was, he put in work, the amount of practice, the amount of uh, work he put in, a person that's forty years old at that time have not put in that much that amount of work. For me, I feel like the same thing. I always, even when I was in New York, I always worked at, at two jobs at once. At the same time, I was always studying. How can I better myself? So, a person that have the same amount of years of experience culinary than I have, I always felt that I have more experience than they do because it was not for me. It was not more of a job. This was something. It was a lifestyle. Something I had. You know, every time I put on a chef coat. It's always uh, a desire that I comes with it, you know. For me, it's like it's like when a doctor put on his shirt about to do a big surgery. That's how I always look at it because cooking is something that is very important to me because at certain age back home in Senegal, I was not able to eat whenever I want. 
now I'm given a chance to cook for others, I definitely want to give them a, a dining memory, you know? So I always give something, I always give them a piece of serene. Something that something that they could they could take they could take with them and hopefully they could get knowledge out of it, you know, and something that they could also connect to. Pain is temporary. It might last a minute, hours, days, seconds, sometimes years. So minds, I feel like, with years, but eventually it's gonna subside and something else is gonna take its place. But if you quit, however, it will last forever. So I always had in my mind that that. Can't was never my part of my vocabulary, you know. So I always, as tough as it get, I knew that the the result of it would be great. So just keep fighting, and then someday I'll fly. Well, I simply can't wait to watch what happens next in your life. So sure. stay in touch, and thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate being here and sharing my story. Chef Serene Mabe, a senior line cook at Commander's Palace. My name is Cliff Hall. I'm vice president and partner at New Orleans Fish House. After hearing Serene's version of his life-altering chance encounter with Cliff Hall, we simply had to sit down with Cliff and hear his side of this amazing accidental meeting. Well, it's crazy, and I don't try to put religious belief on anyone, but I do believe that on this particular day, the stars align for something really special to happen. And I was actually in Africa. I had gone on a missions trip with Troy Duhon, who is the uh, originator and starter of Giving Hope Foundation. And being on the board there, um, we had chosen Gambia, Africa, to place an orphanage in. And so there was a team of us there going for a ribbon cutting to open that orphanage in a very poor area in Gambia. So in our travels back, um, we uh, were in an airport, and as you well know, when you go from country to country, customs is very, very tight. And it just so happened that Serene was actually coming back to New York while we were flying back from Africa as well. And uh, one of my friends was actually behind him in the line and just struck up a conversation. Hey, young man, what are you doing? Well, you know what? What's your story? What you doing here? And uh, he explained to my friend Mark that he had just gone back to Senegal to cook and to see family and to just kind of encourage kids in the schooling system there that he had come from that you don't have to remain poor, that there is hope, that no matter what your story is and no matter what struggle you may have, that you control your own destiny. You can fight your way out. He actually did it with his passion for food. What an incredible man he is. It is. And to do it at such a young age and to have maturity and not take the negative in his life and use that and allow that to destroy him, but yet to motivate and drive fire and passion in him 
to to not not be defeated and to find something that he loved and which ended up being cooking and becoming a chef and he used that passion and that love for food he's just one incredible person you know as we waited um i was introduced to him by mark because mark said well you're a chef you've got to meet my friend cliff hall who (laughs) is really instrumental in the new orleans market for seafood and has been some time and so we got to spend two and a half hours in the holding room before we could go on the plane. Once we got through custom, it just was that long. And it took me about 15 minutes of conversation with him to see and to realize that this young man is special and that I didn't feel like it was an accident. And if there was anything that I could do to help him, that I would, because he wanted to be so diverse in learning you know, the, the, his food skills. And he had been in New York and graduated from school and had that. And I'm like, man, you got to come to New Orleans. And he's like, you know, that, that would be interesting. So when I got back, I couldn't get him off my mind. And I called Tori McPhail at Commanders. And Tori and I have been very good friends for a long time. And I said, Chef, I have never asked you for a favor, but I've got one that I'd like to ask you. And he said, my friend, exactly what he said, what do you need? And I said, I met this young man, and I really believe he's, he's got the fire in his belly to learn and to, to better himself, and he's special. There's something unique about him, and I would like for you to give him a shot here at Commander's Palace. And so uh, because of our friendship and a trust factor, uh, he literally, we got his resume in, in their hands. They looked at it, and he said, I would like for you to have him here next Wednesday from my first conversation with him for orientation. And so Chef hired him sight unseen. And I'll tell you, if you get a chance to talk to him, he'll just explain to you, just like I'm saying, how special of a person Serene is. Serene, we know, very independent, um, very capable person. Did you have any further hand in helping him make the move or acclimate once he got here? Well, I sponsored him for two months. I put him up and paid for his rent for two months so that he could get here, get acclimated. Uh, He actually lived with another employee at Commanders who was just generous enough, sight unseen again, again, the stars lining up to let him move into his house. And the guy that, that he roomed with thanked me for, for, introduce him because now they're friends and the last time that i was in commanders with chef uh and serene was on the line chef put his arm around me goes man thank you so much you know he makes everybody better around him and so not only does he have a passion and a love for what he does he takes that passion and he looks to make those around him better which you know that speaks so highly not just of this talent but of the person that he is Cliff, I'm fascinated that, you know, obviously you are a person who puts their money where their mouth is, or you wouldn't have been on that mission trip in Africa. You wouldn't have been involved in the work that you're involved in. Is it unusual for you to suddenly pluck some young man out of the air, move him to New Orleans and help support him? Or have you had have you had similar projects, or was this just really sort of an act of God? No, this 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 I would declare as an act of God, um, just the way it all happened. And you know, we chose what even ties it even more special is we chose to put the orphanage in Gambia because African slaves that came from Africa to our region here came from 
Gambia, and Senegal from the Wolof tribe. They were brought to Algiers Point, and there is literally a placard on the levee in Algiers Point stating that this is where the African slaves were brought and dropped, and then they were boated across the river and sold around the Cafe Masparia area. And Africans that were there were the, were the Wolof tribe was one of the main main tribes. And so that even ties Serene even more because as I got into I'm like, this is way, this is incredible, this story building. So I'm like, he tells me he speaks five languages. And so I'm like, well, what are the five languages that you speak? And he gives me French, American, and he says Wolof. And I said, Wolof? Please don't tell me you're from the Wolof tribe. He goes, oh, yeah, my descendants are from the Wolof tribe. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I mean, I got goose hairs right now. Me okay, too. Because it was like you can't – we can't even write this up. Anne Rice couldn't do a novel that could tie all these things together. So anyway, so I'm like, this, you know, that's completely incredible, but I'm there, and we want to tie the culture back, and then I meet Serene, and, you know, in my mind's just going that, man, Serene could be a great for our city, a gift to New Orleans, and, and to, to explore and to give the history to people of, you know, the cooking that we got. Now, we, we have a lot of French infusion into our cooking, but the French got their infusion from the Senegalese and the Gambian people. It's a, it was a circle that was just unexplainable. And again, I, I, I don't take any credit for it. I was a small cog in it, but I am so grateful that I got to play a small role in bringing him here because just love him to death. What are you hoping for Serene ultimately? Ultimately, I'd love to see him on his own place. You know, it'd be so unique to have somebody that, you know, from from that part of Africa to own their own restaurant and, and just be highlighted. Uh, and, and, and he's not just a good cook. He just loves to explain, you know, why he's using certain ingredients. And people really are interested in that now. So uh, I think he brings New Orleans. He's a gift to New Orleans. He really is. And I, I hope that he decides to call this home for quite some time. Thank you, Cliff. Thanks so much for bringing Serene to New Orleans and for visiting with us on Louisiana Eats. It's my pleasure. Cliff Hall, co-owner of the New Orleans Fish House. For a final take on Serene's extraordinary journey, we headed straight to the kitchen at Commander's Palace to speak with executive chef Tori McPhail. My name is Tori McPhail. I'm the executive chef at Commander's Palace, and my friend Serene has worked for us now for maybe uh, almost a year. Great, great, great guy. There just seems to be such a magical thing about Cliff Hall, who works so closely with you all and has for years at the New Orleans Fish House finding Serene in Africa and delivering him to you. It was better than a big tuna, huh? <laughs> I'll tell you what, it, it, it is absolutely an amazing story. And, you know, all of us in the food business, you know, behind the scenes, we work like heck to um, try to do everything we possibly can for the city. 
And although we, we do different things we might have on different uniforms, it is very much a people's business. And um, so I, I highly respect Cliff and all the hardworking guys at the New Orleans Fish House. We've been wonderful friends uh, for probably 20 years, you know, even going back to like the Jamie Shannon days. Um, so he and I have been dear friends and he, he calls me up one day and says, hey, Tori, look, I've got a little unusual story for you. And he starts launching into this, this r- remarkable story about Serene, how we met him in an airport. Understanding is like Tori, man. I really want him to come to New Orleans and fulfill some of his dreams, and I really want him to, to work at Commander's Palace. Would you please help me do that and facilitate, you know, making this kid's dreams come true? And so I said, Cliff, absolutely. You're you're a great, great buddy of mine. I'll do anything I possibly can for you. And so um, ended up calling him up. We chatted on the telephone. He came down to New Orleans, and um, and we hit it off immediately. Tell me what it was like when you first met him face to face. Because you don't know. You talk to him on the phone and sometimes, you know, the phone, you make one impression, but then you get that face to face. Yes, Serene is a very good guy. But like anything else, whether you're buying fish or cars, you know, you hear one thing over the telephone, but you just never know what you're going to get until, you know, you're right there and in the moment. And when I shook hands with him and we make eye contact and, you know, firm handshake and he started telling me his, his own story... It was pretty remarkable. So I said, look, I will do anything I possibly can for you. You know, it, it hasn't always been easy. You know, walking in and filling a pair of clogs and filling a cook's position on the roster at Commander's Palace is a very daunting thing. So it has not been an easy road for him personally, obviously. But professionally, it's not been easy either. But he has been a good study. The guy knows nearly all the stations in the Commander's Palace kitchen. A very, very, very quick study. Reminds me a lot of my, myself when I look in the mirror. And he is really, you know, knuckled down. And he says, you know what, I'm going to come back and I'm not going to make those mistakes again. And he's just, you know, that drive and determination in the face of adversity really says a lot about somebody's personality and what they bring to the table. He's, he's the, almost the first one in, the last one to leave, hardworking guy. And he's so driven and he's, he's such a family guy, which wasn't always part of his story. And so to see where part of his paycheck a good part of his paycheck goes every single payday to really help his family give back to the community and pay it forward a thousand fold is just i don't know if he'll ever tell you that but um it's just really remarkable story that um i encourage other people to get out there and introduce yourself to serene he's a wonderful guy you know he's he's a very emotional guy Right? He draws from his life experiences and he channels that into becoming a better person every single day, personally and professionally. And you know, the, the cooks know his story and his story is starting to get out there more and more and he's really becoming a, a recognizable face um, for commanders as well. Really a, an amazing young success story. And so you know, there's been other times when we've had a not so great conversations at 11 o'clock at night in you know, Ella's backyard behind Commander's Palace and there's been some some you know tough tearful conversations but he comes in the next day and he's and he you know he puts on his clogs and he puts on his apron like anybody else and he says you know what I'm gonna do this and so now he's really becoming like a kind of an emotional leader in the kitchen and taking some of the younger ones that you know he sees parts of himself in them and really kind of taking them under his wings and saying, come on, let me, let me show you what's going on. And it doesn't matter if it's a, it's a young pastry cook or if somebody working hot apps or somebody working the line, he's really got that mental toughness to go above and beyond and really have that human connection to people. Is there anything that you can tell me that he's taught someone? I think it's the, the personal toughness and 
professional discipline is the biggest thing. As an example, you know, if I kind of bust his chops about, you know, he's got a messy station or his apron's dirty or he's just not quite as focused as he needs to be, you know, he's harder on himself than any of the rest of us. And so to see him walk back in and take his time, choose his words carefully, be very professional with some of the younger folks that don't have the professional advantages that he has had, his life disadvantages have made him the perfect mentor for some folks that maybe take life for granted a little bit. And to hear his story and have him relate about where he's come from and stand up at our, we call them premium meetings. It's where we get together and we, we, we talk with all the chefs and the cooks every day, twice a day uh, before the shift starts to, to hear him say, hey, look, these are the keys to success. It's communication, hard work, focus, attention to detail, tasting your food. Everybody takes notice because he kind of sounds like He's a, almost a young sous chef or young chef de partie. So, um, you know, everybody needs to watch out and kind of take notice of, um, of Serene because he's, he's coming up through the ranks at Commander's Palace and in New Orleans very quickly. Thank you, Tori. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Tori McPhail, executive chef at Commander's Palace. Did you know that New Orleans famed beignets actually come from Africa, not France? Stay tuned, and we'll tell you all about it when we come right back. Tucker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen and Zatarain's. Here's this week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Culinary Institute. Did you know that New Orleans' famed beignets actually come from Africa, not France? Chef Serene Mabe shocked both Cliff Hall and me with that news. I did some research on the topic, and yes, it turns out that an ancient beignet ancestor does survive in West Africa, where it's still a popular street food. There, they're called puff puffs, beaufrat, togbe, or beignet. So were the first beignets in New Orleans prepared by the French or by the West African slaves? There's a whole lot more research that needs doing to figure that one out. I'm Poppy Tooker, and no matter what you call them, beignets are real. Louisiana Eats.
I am Rick Blunt, and I am the CEO of Antoine's Restaurant. I'm Sterling Constant, I've been a waiter here for 50 years. What do Bob Hope, Jackie Gleason, and former Governor Edwin Edwards all have in common? They've all been served by Sterling Constant at Antoine's in the French Quarter. And if you stop by today and are lucky enough to get Sterling as your waiter, you can expect the same level of service they received. 2017 marked Sterling's 50th year in service at Antoine's, which makes him the restaurant's longest-serving employee. To celebrate this milestone, Antoine's threw quite a party. Following the festivities, we visited Sterling along with Antoine's CEO, Rick Blunt, to discuss Sterling's remarkable career. When Antoine's had their big 50th celebration party for you, tell me about your customers who came. They came from everywhere, didn't they? Yes, ma'am. They from all over, you know. I thought I was going to get time to eat, but I didn't. You know, greeting everybody, taking pictures with everybody was a big deal, you know. I've served many, many parties, large parties, but it was not like the one I had. I wish other people in the country could have seen the customers who came out on a rainy Sunday afternoon to honor, to have dinner with and honor their waiter. I mean, where else in the world does that happen but New Orleans? Now, Sterling, let's go back again to the very, very beginning. How old were you when you started working at Antoine's? I was 16 when I started in the kitchen in 1967. And... Why did you come to work here? How did you happen to get that I, job? Tom, my cousin was a chef, Leroy Martin. And he said, well, come on, I'm going to get you a job over here. So I came with him, and I got stuck here for 50 years. It was like having glue on my shoes. <laughs> I, work, I worked for his grandfather, um, for Ricky's grandfather, Mr. Roy. Then about 1972, I told uh, the chef, I said, I'm coming out into the dining room. So he said, all right. So ever since then, I worked with them. The older waiters, they took you like a baby and showed you the proper way of doing things and serving customers and greeting customers. You know, that's the pride. You know, people today ask you, who's the most famous person you serve? At the time, if I'm serving her, it would be her. I don't put a movie star in front of any of the guests. The guest that I'm serving is important to me. Tell me what the kitchen was like when you came to work here, as opposed to what it looks like today. You know, when I came to work here, everything was done vertically, nothing by computers. So that's why a lot of the older waiters did everything by sight and memory. So, you know, you get parties, you don't write anything down. Oh my gosh, that's quite a memory trick, huh? Yeah, there's a little memory to it. To this day, people come in and they're amazed at if you got four or five people, you don't write anything down. Or you're going to get it right there, actually. I said, well, I think I might be able to do it. After 50, 45, 50 years, it's easy. Tell me what your average day is like at Antoine's. Is my, there an average day? My average day, 12 to 14 hours sometime. You know, here on TV, the youngsters say, I can't work more than 40 hours. <laughs> they say, how the old, in the olden days, how the waiters and... People that work jobs work 12 and 14 hours and never complain. Now if they work more than 40 hours, they complain. That's a lot of hours on your feet. Right. 
Here you are in the oldest continuously operating family-owned restaurant in the whole nation. That alone must give you a great deal of pride. Yes, ma'am. Well, when he becomes the owner of the restaurant, I'll be on the fourth generation of the family. Oh, my goodness. What are some of the more um, distinct requests or expectations that some of your customers well, have? Well, a couple of times I did... The customer come in and said, I'm getting engaged tonight. What can you do to present her the ring? I said, well, let me think. I saw we got a glass bell. I'll put the appetizer on the glass. I'll put the bell underneath it and put the ring in the center. And when she opened it up, oh, you know, you get an expression. Oh, this is so nice. You know, we used to do the mushroom underneath the glass bell, sucre, with the pate. And that was one of the delicious dishes, and I remember Mr. Goss, who was the Attorney General of the State of Louisiana, he called up one day, he asked for a certain sauce on top of the lamb, and nobody knew how to make it. So he called downstairs, he said, ask Sterling. Sterling knows how to make that sauce, I'm telling you. So a guy comes and he says, Sterling, how you make this, Mr. Mr. Billy wants a maison d'or. I said, all right. I said, get some cherry wine, get some chicken breast, and some sweet bread, and cut it up in pieces, and make your bushmill sauce with sherry wine, and put it on top of the lamb, and some truffles in the sauce. That was the maison d'or. And you just had that in your memory? I, everything comes back to me by memory. You know, like some of the old customers say, oh, we sure like to have the oyster Alice. I said, well, if you tell me in advance when you're coming, I'll get this chef, which is key at nighttime. He makes all the sauces. He knows how to make the Ellis sauce. That I'll get it made for you. So Rick, tell us about your earliest memories of Sterling, because I guess even though you grew up here, Sterling may have spent more hours in this restaurant than you. Sterling spent multiples of the hours that I've spent in this restaurant, especially because I was missing. But Sterling and I, Sterling started before I did. Sterling started in 67. I didn't start until 72. You know, Sterling, Sterling was already just moved into the dining room when I started. So, uh, so Sterling, but, but Sterling had little boys in those days. You know, he was a little kid. And, and so I, you know, I remember Sterling cutting up and, and stuff as a little boy. And, you know, today you look at both of us and we're old men. It's not, you know, it's not quite the same picture as it was then. Rick, do you believe that there are young men and women today coming up in the ranks who will be the next Sterling? Do you see that continuity, or has the world changed? No, I actually do see the continuity. And for a while I was really worried about it, but I'm now convinced that, uh, that the continuity is there, that, that New Orleans is there. Uh, Antoine's is not for everybody, but for the people who do fit within our culture, they tend to stay a whole lifetime, which I think is interesting. Number one, you can make a real living as a waiter at Antoine's. It's not a crummy job. It's a good career to have. And, and secondly, it's an honorable career to have. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for spending this time 
and sharing this legacy with my Louisiana Eats listeners. Thank you. You're welcome. Ms. Poppy, it's always our pleasure. Thank you. Sterling Constant and Rick Blunt of Antoine's. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Have you missed an episode of Louisiana Eats? Hear today's show or catch up on previous editions anytime online at itsneworleans.com. If you're not podcasting yet, it's time to subscribe. We've launched an exclusive podcast series, Louisiana Eats Quick Bites, made up of sneak previews of material that hasn't hit the airwaves yet and full-length interviews never heard on the show before. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Zatarain's, and Rouse's Markets. Additional support for Louisiana Eats is provided by the Shreveport Bossier Convention and Tourist Bureau and from Dickie Brennan's Steakhouse, a local New Orleans steakhouse serving prime beef and Louisiana Wagyu in New Orleans French Quarter. Original theme music composed by David Pomerlow and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to producers Joe Schreiner, Sarah Holtz, and Reggie Morris and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Come visit us anytime in our Louisiana Eats studios at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Don't forget to find our recipes and see what we're up to at poppytooker.com. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. <laughs>